Good morning. This sermon series that we are in is one that Pastor Matt and I love. We love that it connects us together, and it also points us to meaningful passages that are part of our community of faith. Uh, last week, Shirley mentioned uh, she, she had this beautiful time, and it was so lovely, and thank you so much for sharing your heart and the passage. Um, friends, if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to grab them, have them ready, um, go to chapter 12 of Romans, just so you can have that ready to go, and we're going to watch a video now of Dennis Kerber sharing his favorite Bible passage. Hi, I'm Dennis. My favorite verse is Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Romans 12, 12. Life hasn't always gone the way I thought it would. When I think of my career, I was hoping to be much further than I am right now. I remember the day when I first started at my last job. It was almost fun to go to work. I was doing some really cool projects. But as time went on, things didn't go so well and went downhill. And some days, it was really hard to go to work. But this verse taught me to be joyful, to always look on the positive, to be grateful for what I have. It also taught me to be patient. I wasn't there just for myself. I was there for the people around me in my life. And if I had to go change something or wanted to fix something, I'd always have to start with prayer. I have to keep being joyful. I have to keep being patient. I have to keep praying. That's a blueprint for life. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Dennis. Um, thank you for sharing that verse. And you are right. This is a blueprint to life. Scripture can often be cryptic, especially when you're reading Paul, but this doesn't seem too complex, at least not at first. We have these three imperative, bold, crisp, clear statements. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Or as the ESV puts it, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And on the, sur on the surface, most of you, like myself, probably read this and say, yes, this is perfect. This is a good blueprint. But how does this become a reality and not just a bumper sticker slogan or one of those wall arts that you have up in your kitchen? How does this blueprint actually become a lifestyle? How do these ingredients mix to make such a life possible? Yes, this is a blueprint for life, but I can't live in a blueprint. I, that would be weird. I'm trying to picture myself in two dimensions. Our home is not paper and pencil, compass and stencil, but cement and boards and paint and electric cords. So I, I need this plan to become a reality. And if I'm honest, if I'm honest with you, I find it very difficult uh, to do this. More often than not, my impatience is what shows up in the midst of trial. The literal exact opposite of what Paul is asking of us and commanding us, I find happening. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be patient. And then, oh, pain and suffering, and now I'm like, not patient at all. And it's frustrating, and I watch my life, and I'm like, Trent, come on, what's going on? And I'm sure that you can empathize with me to at least some degree that this, these are a great blueprint, but how? Where do we go from there? I need more than just it being a nice idea. 
How does this work itself out? How do these become more than just aspirations and lofty platitudes, but something concrete in real life? In this life right here, right now. And before we even start talking construction, yes, I'm kind of camping out on the blueprint idea that Dennis gave me. Before we even talk construction, what kind of life or home is this actually going to be? After all this hard work, will I even like the house? Before I need to, you know, explore these blueprints, um, they need to become not just a reality, I need to decide if I actually want the end result. I think so often, and us as Christians are often critiqued for this, um, and I think it's true, we're quite, we're not great at this, it's pretty easy for us to say, okay, Paul, you said this is what we're supposed to do, this is our blueprint for life, I'll go and do it. Hey, Trent, why are you doing this? Because the Bible says so. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with us being holding to that conviction, but it needs to go a little bit deeper than just the Bible says so. Um, have we ever stopped to consider why? Why should I spend all this time investing in these character traits? Why should I embrace and incorporate these commands into my life? And when this all gets hard, the because the Bible says so isn't enough. Well, I even want the house after it's been built. Is that, are you tracking with me? Is this making sense? And I know, I know I'm taking a simple verse and I'm like going all Nietzsche and like Viktor Frankl here for a second. I'm like going deep, existential. But we need to do that sometimes with these bold, clear commands. Because when something is so clear and in our face, we're really left with only two options. Either we believe it and internalize it and we live it and it becomes a part of who we are and the makeup of our lives, or we actually kind of don't believe it. We, we fake it or we make it up or we just reject it. So we have to go deeper than just saying, yep, good ideas, let's do it. We have to dig a little deeper in. So where are we headed today? All of that to say, let me break it down for you. And trust me, those of you who are tempted to check out because I used a word like platitude or I referenced Viktor uh, Frankl, don't go, stay with me, this is where I'm headed. How do I know living this blueprint will be worth it? So three questions. How do I know living this blueprint will be worth it? And then two, how does this list of words actually create a blueprint for life? And then third, how will this help me in my life right now? How do I know living these blueprints, these commands, will be worth it? After building this house, will I even want to live in this home? And how does this list of words, joy, hope, patient, patience, suffering, faithful, prayer, actually mix together and create this blueprint? How do these words, how do they connect to make life possible in this way? And then finally, how will this help me in my life right now? How does this flow together so that I have somewhere to go from this message? So stay with me. I really do believe that the Holy Spirit desires to take this simple, beautiful verse and bring revelation and understanding and connection to our living God. And out of that will emerge an encouragement and direction for how you can live meaningfully in this life. I'd like to just pray for our time as we dig in. 
Lord, I'm excited, and sometimes when I'm excited, I get all like antsy, and I can't even keep track of where I'm at in my notes. And so, Lord, right now, I, I first ask for you to still my heart and slow me down. I'm excited, Lord, that I get to share your word with my friends that are sitting in the pews as well as at home. I feel this great connection to a church that's beautiful and lovely and wonderful. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would transcend our humanity and come down and meet us exactly where we need to be met. You are wise, compassionate, and you're able to guide us with your scripture into a life that is really worth it. Amen. Part one. Will it be worth it? What is the purpose? What is the end goal? Why follow these blueprints? Because, well, he who has a why to live, live for, can bear with almost any how. Okay? I had to quote Viktor Frankl at least once if I'm going to bring him up. That's from him. So what is the why of Romans 12, 12? For this, we need to jump back to verse 9 and then go back even a little further to verse 1. So Romans 12, 12 lands us right in the middle of this beautiful little section that's all about love. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. It's all about love. It's all about love. All of this is about love. Devote yourselves to honest and real love. Be devoted to each other with a family-level love. Try to outdo each other in giving honor. And we'll time out for a moment here. Giving honor is like the exact opposite of what any respectable Roman and Greek in that time frame would do. It was actually considered a virtue to gather honor for yourself. It was all about, actually, it was one of the core virtues to pull honor towards yourself. So everything for them was about acquiring accolades and honor and comp competition so that they could be the best. And that was considered virtuous. Now, Paul here has clearly discovered something about the best life that he is willing to suggest to Romans that they flip that value system completely on its head and that you give away honor. I, that might be hard for us to picture because we've grown up in 2,000 years of revolution in the way we think about honor. Christianity has completely upended the concept of honor, that we don't even realize it. But at the time, this would, be, would make no sense. Give honor away. So Paul has got something figured out. It's this upside-down wisdom that he sees in the person of Jesus. So by the time we get to verse 12, we have this theme of love ringing in our hearts. And that it is the center, it is the goal, it is the essence of God's will that was actually expressed all the way back at the beginning of Romans 12. Actually, we should jump back to there. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. 
do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Then you will be able to know in all situations and in every different situation how to love best. That's what's really going on here. In every situation, how do I love this person as best as possible in this, in this moment? Because if you think about the, uh, the life we live with all of the competing expectations and demands, it is impossible to do this on our own strength. For me to love you as best as I can in this right moment might involve me ignoring someone else and doing something. And it, you just can't do it perfectly in our own strength. This constant dependence on the Holy Spirit. How can I love best in this moment? And we need the Lord for that. And this is his good and pleasing perfect will. Lord, would you transform us to be able to live in this way? And then all of this, we see right in the verse 1, all of this is in view of God's mercy. God's mercy is the foundation of all of this effort. We were dead in our sin, without hope, without confidence that our lives were headed anywhere meaningful. There is no confidence in that. Lost and confused humans all going our own way, doing what we thought best in our own eyes, but still with no hope. And then Jesus Christ, God's living presence, came down from heaven to join our suffering, bear our burden, carry our shame. All of this done so that a way through life could be given to us. Jesus became the guide, the path, and the ride Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have life eternal in abundance. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This, this is the house that Paul is trying to help us understand, to help us build a life reflecting the nature of God, which at its core is love, and, this is important, and us loving it. To enjoy our life and know with a certainty of hope that, that, that will translate into more hope in the life after. Uh, let me put it in another way. To become like Christ and love it. I, we need to add in the and love it because it's not just become like Christ and suffer and, and there's no joy in it. We see teeming through scripture that even in the midst of the struggle of life to become like him, there is a love in doing it. Paul clearly loves the growth and the transformation taking place. He is excited that he is becoming more and more like Christ and he's loving every minute of it. It is because of God's mercy that we have access to a life that can be enjoyed even in the midst of suffering. Now, some people may not want this. I do. I really want this life. I really want to be free and full of joy, knowing that I have purpose that goes beyond death. This is a house that I want to live in. It's all about love. It's all for love's sake. Therefore, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So that's, that's the why and now we can start to look at, so how, does the, how do these blueprints translate into a home that we can actually live in? How does it move from good ideas into practice? How do these 
words of love, joy, hope, patience, affliction, or tribulation, um, consistency, or faithfulness in prayer? How does this all connect so that we have somewhere to go with it? Well, let me start with this, and, and you guys here can respond. It's not a rhetorical question. Um, which is the odd word in this list? I just, I'll read the list again, and you guys can be thinking this for yourselves as well. Joy, hope, patience, affliction, faithfulness, prayer. Which word feels a little like it's on its own? Affliction. Yeah, yes, I know the masks made it quiet. You guys are probably yelling it all the way from home. Affliction. That's, let's start there. It's odd. It doesn't quite fit the list. It's something that happens to us, whereas all of these other aspects are virtues that we are invited to participate in. But affliction or tribulation or suffering, that's the oddball. Well, if the world can agree on one thing, it's that tribulation is real. Affliction is common to everyone. To live is to suffer. You don't have to be a Christian to get behind this idea. The first of the four noble truths in Buddhism says that life consists of suffering, pain, and misery. And in this, we agree. In fact, whether you are Christian, non-religious, or a different faith, or just figuring things out, we can all agree life is hard. Affliction is foundational. And in the face of suffering, you're left with only a few options. You can either deny it exists, and we've met some of those people that are like, mm -mm, I'm not going there. They lie about it. You have to lie about it to yourself. You have to hide from it. You have to drug yourself or busy yourself or do whatever you can to run away from the reality that there is suffering. But this choice will leave you constantly frustrated and disappointed. It'll make you live a life forced to be built on trinkets and distractions and nothingness. So that's one option that we're all left with. Second option is to acknowledge it and attempt to survive or acknowledge it and quit because limping through life just just because with no hope, that's hard. And I know there's a lot of people right now that are living in that kind of place. They know that they're suffering, but what, what else is there, right? Where can we go with this? And you just keep pressing forward. And then there's third, there's acknowledging it, but rising above it because your life is attached to a purpose and something that you can put your hope in. As Christians, we do not deny this. Suffering is the normal environment that we live in. It's the soil where we are planted. Uh, seven, six, seven thousand years ago, jo uh, Job, <laughs> Job, oh <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Job 5.7 says this, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. I actually really like that picture. You're sitting around a campfire, you're seeing this beautiful, you know, flickering fire goes up and then you have this really dark moment. Wow, that's like my life being born into trouble. And then you, I don't know, go around and move on with your day. Um, Job 14.1 says, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. If you have not tasted suffering, difficulty, tribulation, you will. That's just how it goes. Um, learn now that tribulation in this world is normal for the Christian. In fact, 
Christians can expect it to intensify when we actually choose to follow Jesus. Jesus talked about it. He said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He also says, in this world, you will have trouble. Paul talked about it, and he taught all the young churches that he established that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14, 22. Peter talked about it. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happen happening to you. These guys understood it. Everybody knew this was part of life. But we are also a people who are not left to just limp through, hoping for the best in a brutal world. We have access to that third option. Romans 12, 12 is all about this. Christ has broken into our affliction, and it is he who became the goal, the joy, the very real and unshakable hope. Here's a quote from John Piper that I appreciated. He said this about Jesus. He became man and embraced all our suffering. He chose it. He carried it. And in his death and resurrection, he defeated it, all of it. The moral evil and the physical evil, sin, Satan, sickness, sabotage, Christ defeated them all by dying in our place and rising from the dead. In this triumph, he secured for his people all those who trust in him, freedom from sin, freedom from Satan, freedom from sickness, and freedom from sabotage, partially now in, and perfectly in the age to come. In other words, Jesus Christ has become the ground of our hope, and he himself, he himself is the goal of our hope. Because of this great victory and reality, we can and are able to rejoice while in the midst of of suffering. Uh, John Wesley was on board a ship bound for Georgia, the Georgia colony, in early 1736 when a ferocious storm came in and it was just, uh, it shredded the mainsail, it was flooding the decks, and John and many of his English passengers aboard were screaming in terror that they would soon be swallowed up by the deep. They were terrified, grief-stricken. They were, they were done. But a group of Moravian missionaries from Germany calmly sang hymns throughout the squall. They were unafraid of death, and he could not grasp their endurance, their ability to rejoice at a time like that. That journey marked the beginning of Wesley's ever-growing hunger to have a faith that would produce such joy in the midst of tribulation. Two years later, a disheartened Wesley, um, he's back in England wrestling with his faith because things had gone so miserably when he was a missionary in Georgia. And then on May 24th, 1738, friends convinced him to attend a Moravian society meeting on Aldersgate Street in London. It was at this meeting where he heard Martin Luther's preface to Romans. Now, that's weird, right? Your list, like, Martin Luther's preface to the Romans is like a treatise, like a commentary on Romans. He's listening to this commentary be read. And in that moment, God began to work in his life, and he discovered a true hope. He encountered the full 
mercy of God. And he wrote this later in his journal, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ and in Christ alone for my salvation. This spiritual awakening was a turning point in his life and ultimately gave him the endurance to continue forward in his lifelong mission. Knowing Christ and experiencing his mercy, trusting him gives Christians the ability to endure and even grow in tribulation. And this is where we find ourselves. This is the challenge that we, we constantly have, that tension that Paul says that we can actually rejoice in hope and we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That's in 2 Corinthians 6.10. So we have this tension, but we have this reality. We have a real hope, and that is so critical. That is so foundational because then it's possible for, possible for us to have a joy that's in something of substance. Paul is not just saying, be joyful because, just, you know, for whatever reason. He is saying, choose to rejoice in the very real hope we have as Christians. And then patience in suffering is fueled by this joy. It is maintained by joy. Christ himself suffered terribly, but was sustained by the joy that was on the other end of his suffering. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus had his why, redeeming God's people. We are his why. He endured the cross for you. He endured the cross for all of us. We are able to endure suffering because we have hope in this king. We are able to be joyful because of this hope. But we have to fight for it. Joy in this world is not something that just happens to us. We have to fight for it because pain is painful. And if, we don't, if we're not constantly working in this area, pain and suffering is constantly trying to attack our joy and bring us down. And the call of Romans 12, 12 is not to rejoice without tribulation, but to rejoice in spite of and, have, and even because of tribulation. Are you starting to see some of the connection to these words? Uh, if you're not, I'll, I'll keep going here. Um, we need patience. And rejoicing is the weapon to fight suffering. But Rejoicing can't be fluff. It can't be in nothing. It has to be in something secure. And that something is the hope of Jesus. So these things start to come together. For us to endure suffering, for us to be able to grow in the midst of suffering, we have to be patient. But patience is hard. We need joy. We need to have the, a point of joy constantly infusing our pain and our suffering. But we can't just have that be nothing. It has to be connected to, to hope, something real. So how does prayer fit in? How does this last line all come together? And really, I believe this is how things are brought together, that prayer is the gateway God uses to wake us up to hope and sustain our hope. And since everything hinges on that hope, we need to grow and be sustained in this area. Hope is the key to joy in our tribulation, and prayer 
is the key to us growing and sustaining this hope. So while the NIV uses the term faithful in prayer, there are other words, other translations that are also used that I think are helpful. Continuing steadfastly, persistent, constant, uh, steadfastly maintain the habit of, be devoted to. These words help paint a picture of what Paul is getting at. I do not believe he is saying that you need to be in prayer every minute. It means to persist in prayer, to persevere in it, to stay in it, to be devoted to it, to don't give up, don't slack off, let it be habitual. It's the opposite of random, occasional, sporadic, intermittent. And I know for some of you, you need to hear that right now. You keep it's not about keeping your faith authentic and spontaneous in your prayer life. If you don't feel like praying, well, then don't pray. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's saying you fight for it, you work at it, you develop it, you make it a regular, habitual, reoccurring discipline in your life. Treat prayer the way you would treat eating and sleeping and doing your job. You can't be hit or miss about it. This is so important. Don't assume that it's just going to fill in the cracks of all the other things. Dealing with God in prayer deserves more than a quick text now and again. And yes, he is, and this is beautiful, he is, of course, always available. Always available. But we need to cultivate that relationship. We need to build into this relationship. Our relationship with God suffers without regular, focused attention. Paul is calling all of us to a life of regular, planned meetings with God in prayer, in which we praise him for who he is, and thank him for what he has done, and ask him for help, and plead the cause of those we love, including the peoples of this entire world. And when I say prayer, I don't just mean prayers like these ritual, thoughtless things that we're not involved in, but actually investing in conscious contact with the living God fellowship with him through Jesus by the Spirit, a willingness to let God in, an honest interaction with him that will allow us to see him for who he truly is, will allow us to see our lives for, for, for what it really is, will allow us to translate all of this into that eternal joy that grows more and more, gives us a heavenly perspective. So question one was, how do I know living these blueprints, these commands, will be worth it? Well, after building this house, uh, will I even want to be in it? God's mercy, his goodness, his good mercy, life, death, resurrection of Jesus brings all of this together, and it's a life worth living. It's a life full of love that we get to love living in. Does that make sense? I said a lot of love and live at the same time, and, but I hope you guys understand what's going on there. We can grow in our Christ-likeness, and that will translate into daily and eternal joy. Second, how does this list of words actually create a blueprint for life? How do these things all connect together? Well, they all work to help us grow in spite of and because of suffering that we face all around us. Because our hope is real. And tribulation actually can drive our joy deeper into hope. 
And then through our prayer life, through prayer, we are in constant contact. We are connected with the living God that reminds us of the hope that we have. And as we are reminded of that hope, we are set free to enjoy and celebrate. And so what do we do right now? How does this flow together to make, what do I do right now? Well, if you don't know this hope that we've been talking about, if you do not know the hope of Christ, if you do not yet know the mercy of God, accept it today. Confess your selfishness, your prideful resistance. Acknowledge that you can't remove the sin in your life and that you need a Savior to do it. Confess your sin and believe in Jesus. Take that first step and discover what Christians for centuries have been enjoying. If you've already taken a step like that, but like John Wesley, haven't quite connected your faith in Jesus with deep and real joy, right now, ask the Holy Spirit to come and change your mind, to warm your heart, because friends, you will not survive affliction pain and suffering if your faith in Jesus is just head knowledge. The Spirit of God desires to work deeper inside and transform you deep within so that you can sing praises on a sinking ship. We desire as Christians to live a life reflecting the nature of God and joyously pursuing that. So how do you grow in this hope which anchors your joy and fuels your patience, all of this continues on through prayer. Get away from the fray of life and have a chat with God. Choose to take moments out of your day and week to let God in, to let him into your life and into your thoughts, into your fears, into your dreams. Let him in. And do not just talk. Listen. Our God still speaks. Amen. The way I'd like us to conclude the service is I'm just going to share a benediction for all of us and then just take a minute, a quiet minute, and just ask the Holy Spirit, ask our Lord, Lord, what do you have for me to, today? What do I need to hear right now from you? How do these verses, how do these three commands from Paul come together? How do I respond to you today? So Lord, help us as we go on our, on our way. Help us to bring these blueprints together and help us to start building a home that we want to live in. Thank you so much for Paul and his communication of this great truth. Thank you for all of those who have gone before us that can wave the flag and say, this is the life. Pursue these difficult things and it will be worth it. Lord, we know that suffering is real and we know that even in our community right now, there are those that are feeling the sting of death, feeling the pain of it, feeling the frustration that this world is not as it should. And Lord, I just pray that you would be close to them, that you would draw near to the suffering because Lord, you did not just come to remove us from it. You actually entered into suffering right alongside us. You understand. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that you are a God who knows our journey, but calls us to a higher place. You love us too much to leave us where we're at. 